want to welcome those of you who are joining us on YouTube. We thank you for clicking over. We hope that at some point you might choose to subscribe to our YouTube channel or maybe just give us a thumbs up on this broadcast. We'd appreciate it very much. Particularly want to invite you to be uh, prepared for us to celebrate the Lord's Supper together uh, towards the end of our service. Have your elements ready so that you can participate with us. And in that, we, um, in a very uh, powerful way, build the bonds of fellowship beyond space and time. So we're thankful for your joining us here today. If you are joining us for the first time or early in your experience, we want to point you to our website, www.ljchurch.org. There you'll find links to a lot of things, but particularly we'd encourage you to visit our Facebook page, which is a kind of a continual dialogue of things that are going on. And, uh, for t and also there is available through the website our Caring and Sharing number of announcements that we'll not be able to cover today will be covered in the caring and sharing. And whether you're here personally and have a hard copy or whether you're online and can download it, download the PDF. And, of course, throughout the week, if you have a moment to pray, it's a great thing to download the caring and sharing and look at the prayer list and things that you can be including in your prayers. As part of our regular service, we will be celebrating the Lord's Supper. And after the Lord's Supper is over, we uh, have that moment to give back to God. And we'll be praying a blessing on those gifts. But as you know, we won't be passing a tray. If you're at home, you're welcome to use the, the QR code that you find there on the screen to click and to make donations. If you're here and would like to, there is a box for your giving back to God that's available in the foyer as well as... Kids, what else is out there? Your kids' gift bucket. And we're continuing to need to send that support to Joaquin and the work down in the Dominican Republic. So hope that you'll take advantage of that. want to be sure that you know that next Sunday is the last Sunday to bring back your gift cards for the Arms of Hope uh, Christmas gift card drive. And so be sure and pick one up. If you haven't picked one up, be sure you get it back to us. I believe, Gary, they can be placed in the same box with donations just It'll be marked in that special way. Also, uh, don't have a slide for this, but the, the Christmas baskets are, are going to be distributed pretty soon. And if you've signed up to, to get a basket, the list for those are in the Welcome Center. So please grab one of those. And, and uh, Laura is ready to... Oh, oh, Laura has gifts that need to be purchased. Is that correct? Okay. It's almost impossible to tell what Laura's telling me when her mask isn't on, but uh, <laughs> I think that's it. So uh, we also have some gifts for some children that are receiving Christmas baskets, and she has a list there. You've always been so incredibly generous to help us do that. And again, if you're online, please just give us a call in the office. I'm sure we'll have some of those that are still needing to be picked up. Be aware that uh, we're just a week and a day away from our annual Christmas party. There are sign-up sheets in the back, and you can get registered for that as well. Finally, want to also just kind of get you to mark on your calendar that uh, while it will not be gathering in a van and driving all over town, and while it will not be standing uh, at, at one of our shut-ins front doors and singing straight at them, we are going to be caroling the saints, and we would invite any who would like to join us in the Welcome Center at 6 o'clock on Wednesday night, the 14th. You'll learn more when we get there, but uh, again, I just want to put you at ease that you're not signing up to, to ride around in a van with people and that kind of stuff. So uh, mark your calendars. Wednesday is the 16th. Thank you very much. What a deal. She didn't need, she, thank you for making that point. I, I appreciate that very much. 
Uh, finally, for those of you in our Kids for Christ program, uh, some materials are available for a, a project called The Giving Manger today. Um, I would point you to our Kids for Christ webpage to get all of that information, but the kits are available today. You can see Sharon. She'll be sure and take care of you. Won't you stand with me as we begin our worship together today? From Psalm 124, these are excerpted verses. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when our enemies attacked us, they would have swallowed us alive. When their anger was kindled against us, then the flood would have swept us away. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us up as prey to their teeth. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Let's sing together. Oh. Uh-huh. 
time we will dismiss for Praise Kids, Stage 2 Nursery, and Limitless Kids. Good to be with you this morning. Uh, about this time last year, my wife uh, Shelly and I made the drive to Lake Jackson and we were able to spend some time with you in Bible class and in worship and just thoroughly enjoyed our time uh, there with the church family. 
what a difference a year has made. Uh, we find ourselves in a very different place uh, this morning. Um, obviously, I am not there. I'm sitting in my own home um, and coming to you live from San Angelo, Texas. As we begin this morning, I want to take just a moment. I, I want to give you an update on what's happening with the Arms of Hope, but I cannot even begin without saying thank you uh, to the church family there at Lake Jackson for your partnership in the ministry with Arms of Hope. Uh, we know that the Arms of Hope ministry is important, and we believe that we are doing important things to change the trajectory of life uh, for moms and children and families. But we know we cannot do that uh, without the partnership that we have with you. Uh, obviously, the support you give to us financially is important, but just knowing that you are with us, that you are praying with us, uh, and available to us in times of need. Uh, so thank you uh, from all of us at Arms of Hope uh, for uh, the support and encouragement you've given to us. Like I said, 2020 has been a crazy year for all of us. Um, and we, we've we experienced things this year that we have never experienced before. But one thing that we have experienced time and time again is the goodness and faithfulness of God. This year, we have been able to reach out and work with more moms and children than ever before in the history of Arms of Hope. Um, we have had more baptisms uh, this year. We have seen more moms and children become Christ followers. In fact, we had four just in the last couple of weeks. Um, and so we are excited about the way God is continuing to work through this ministry. And we know as we get on the other side of COVID-19, we know that there will be more and more families in crisis, and we want to be there available and ready uh, to step in to help those families. But this past year, we were also, while a lot of things shut down, our campuses, Medina and Bowles campuses, uh, were active. We were able to continue with summer camps um, on campus, uh, for uh, those students, um, and we saw more moms come onto those campuses to find help. Our family outreach centers, Denton, Dallas, Houston, Fort Worth, and San Antonio, and you heard me mention Fort Worth, that's a new outreach center, center that came online uh, this uh, in February, just before things got real crazy. But all of those, uh, the workers in those family outreach centers have done an incredible job of caring for the families in their communities. And so God has been faithful to us. And our goal has been has to been to be faithful in the things God has given us. Uh, and so we thank you again for your partnership. Uh, and we look forward, I look forward to being with you uh, at some point down the road. Uh, but we look forward to what God will do in us and through us in the coming year. And as partners in ministry, I want to make this commitment to you that we are praying for the Lake Jackson family. We know that you have an important ministry there in your community, and we are praying for you. We are praying for your church family. We are praying for the influence that you have in that community, and we know that you are being faithful to the things and the people God is placing in your path. And so we thank you, and we uh, value uh, this partnership. Let me pray for us now as we enter into our time of worship. Father, we thank you for this day. 
And Father, we thank you for those that are gathered in this place this morning, for those who might see this uh, at different places, even throughout the world. And Father, we, I lift up uh, the Arms of Hope ministry and pray that you will continue to be uh, work through us and help us to care for moms and children and families. And Father, at the same time, I thank you for all of those great churches and individuals uh, scattered across the country uh, that partner with us in ministry. Father, I pray that you will help all of us to see that we are part of uh, your greater mission to bring hope and healing to a broken world. Now, Father, we praise you. We honor you. I pray that all that we do today will bring glory to you. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. See the virgin is delivered in a cold and crowded song. Mirror of the Father's glory lies beside her in the straw. He is mercy's incarnation, marvel at this miracle. For the virgin gently holds the glorious impossible. Love has come to Walk on water, turn the water into wine. Touch the leper, bless the children, love of human and divine. Praise the wisdom of the Father who has spoken through his Son, speaking still calls us to the glorious impossible.
Read a little bit about how God can use anything, no matter how broken. Matthew 1. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Backtrack to Genesis 38. Verse 24. About three months later, Judah was told, Your daughter-in-law, Tamar, is guilty of prostitution, and as a result is now pregnant. Judah said, Bring her out and have her burned to death. And she was being brought out. She sent a message to her father-in-law. I am pregnant by the man who owns these. And said, See if you recognize whose seal and cord and staff these are. Judah recognized him said, she is more righteous than I, since I wouldn't give her to my son, Shalah. Simply because you'll be more successful, would you stand with me? Silent night, holy night, all is calm. What a beautiful song and what a beautiful sentence. Sleep in heavenly peace. I want to introduce you to, we might say it this way, the women in Jesus' life. Five of the women in this picture are mentioned, as Wes pointed out, in Matthew's genealogy, the way he starts the story of Jesus. In fact, Matthew will almost tie it back to the beginning of the whole of God's story because what he says is this is the genesis of Jesus the Christ, son of David, son of Abraham, and then he begins the process of a genealogy. Yes, Matthew only includes the five women, but I would say very much by inference, when he says Genesis, he points back to one more woman. That is Eve. I am really thankful to be surrounded by artistic people, many of them here in this congregation, but this is a piece of art that I noticed actually earlier this year made by a cousin of mine 
Her name is Karen Smith, and she lives in Central Texas. And I not only convinced her to let us use this image for this sermon series digitally, uh, but she has graciously um, painted, uh, not, it wasn't the first one she painted, but an exact comp copy by her hand. It's not a copy. If you'd like to see the original, uh, you can come down front. It's on display here, and you'd be more than welcome to take a look. It is bless me to reflect on how she has identified these worthy women who Matthew found it important to mention. But one of the ideas that sticks out the most from Matthew's genealogy is that the women are completely unexpected. They don't enter into most genealogies. In fact, when you heard Wes reading, you kind of heard these familiar names. Abraham was the father of? Abraham was the father of? Isaac, you can say it with, I know the people online said it out loud. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, who was the father of the twelve, including Judah. But immediately, you stop short, because you're not expecting the next name that comes. These names that are included are unexpected for a lot of reasons. First of all, we've already mentioned, they're not traditionally what you would include in a genealogy. When Je and all good Jews at Jesus' day had a very accurate genealogy of their family. They wanted to trace the purity of their line all the way back, particularly to uh, when the country went into exile, all the way back, and then wherever they could go from there. But particularly to the exile, it was important to have this clean list. And if you've read Nehemiah and Ezra, you can understand why. Because one of their main concerns was the way that in exile, the people had begun to marry with the other peoples around them, with foreigners. And they were concerned about that. It's an interesting concern. And Matthew seems to actually object to that concern. Is it so much that the genealogy traditionally would be interrupted by blood that's not Jewish? Or is it more a concern... And I think Matthew puts this forward, that the genealogy would be interrupted by people who do not follow and trust God. So it's interrupted traditionally, it's interrupted ethnically. Maybe Bathsheba was, who will be one of the women we'll talk about, maybe she was a Jew, but she married a Hittite. And in marrying the Hittite, there was no longer a purity of the race. But everybody else, other than Mary, the last name on the list, are foreigners. They are ethnically diverse. And I think our bigger concern, and if you don't know the story of Tamar before you came today, uh, you're going to learn that the bigger problem with these people is what we might call moral questions. How in the world does this person make it into a list? Oh my goodness. If there were traditional people who want everything to be exactly right, they would all have, when they began to read Matthew's Gospel, going, oh! Wait a minute, that's supposed to be Sarah, he mentioned. That's supposed to be Rebecca, he mentioned. That's supposed to be Rachel, he mentions, not Tamar. Their story affirms that even I, even you, can be a part of God's epic story of love and redemption through Jesus Christ. So how do their stories, the stories of these women, whom most Jews of Jesus' day would have wanted to keep hidden... How do they, in reality, illuminate the story of Jesus? 
Last week, I appreciate Peter getting us started in this series and, and talking about Eve and the way, in reality, the idea of the Son of God coming as a product of Eve, as a product of humans, as a product, particularly, of the sin that so besets the human race. And yet, that is half of the story of Jesus. This week, we take a closer look at a woman named Tamar. Now, if you're from West Texas, it's Tamar. And if you're not from West Texas, it still might be Tamar. But I think, actually, Hebrew would give us a little bit more appropriate pronunciation of Tamar. Say it together. Tamar. Very good. Put that emphasis on that last syllable. Her story is found in Genesis 38. It's in the middle of what you might call the, jo the Joseph story. Joseph's story starts basically in chapter 37 and will carry on through the end of the, end of the book of Genesis. But what we need to understand is it's less about Joseph's story and more about Jacob's story. The story of Jacob and how his children impact the way God is going to use him to move God's purpose of carrying the seed of Abraham as a blessing to the whole world. In fact, I'd make this point, that the story of Joseph begins with Jacob, and the story of Joseph, before it's done, in chapter 50, is about Jacob coming to Egypt, or his bones coming to Egypt, and him coming to be with his children there in Egypt. They tie together. Let's look at the story of Tamar, and it's a long chapter, so I'm going to try to summarize it as best I can. In verse 1, it says about that time Judah left home and moved to Adullam. And you, what you need to know is if he moved away from the tents of his family, he's moving out of the family. Now he's not, by the way, the first person to leave the family because in the previous chapter, Joseph has left the family, but not of his own choice, you may remember. And it may even have been that it was because of the conflict and the mourning and the grieving that Jacob was doing over the loss of Joseph that Judah may have said, I've had enough of this, I'm going elsewhere. And to a certain extent, we're supposed to question whether God can continue his promise through Abraham if all these brothers keep leaving. Now, you know the end of the story, so you're not worried about it. But the first reader would have asked that kind of question. In verse 6, the story continues, and Judah will marry his own foreign wife, but then he arranges for his firstborn son, Ur, and in his other two sons to marry young women who are not of Abraham's lineage. Uh, if you'll remember, uh, it was very important that they send a servant. Abraham sent a servant back to kind of some of his home ground so that he could have a pure marriage for Isaac. And again, it is Jacob who seeks out uh, a person related to the family. And so it is Judah who is breaking this process and adding to what, uh, at least to this point in the story, seems to be something that's very important, that we stay in the family, the family that God has blessed. He marries a foreigner and he marries his sons to former foreigners. And Tamar is the first name of the daughters who will marry of the daughters-in-law who will marry his sons. But verse 7 and verse 10 will put brackets around the story about why God is not pleased with either Judah or his sons. And it's hard to know exactly. Ur and Onan, his first two sons, were wicked. They were wicked men in the Lord's sight. 
So the Lord, and this is very unusual language, the Lord took their life. There are times when the Lord will uh, cause defeat to come on whole nations or groups of people. There are language of God kind of moving people away in a different direction from his own people, and oftentimes that includes their deaths. But the idea that a single person is singled out is a very unusual thing. Uh, You may even remember back to Cain and his sin. God doesn't kill Cain in that process. In fact, what God does, he says, yes, you've committed a sin. Yes, you don't get to be with your regular people, but I'm going to be sure you're protected. It is more along the lines of being unusual that it is Eli who Samuel will follow, whose sons are wicked, and we get great detail about all that Eli's son's doing to be wicked, that God says they're not individually going to be your heirs. Instead, he puts Samuel in their place, a young man who will follow God. Verses 7 and 10 also include a very unusual idea. I will leave it to parents to read this story with their children, and uh, you can work through the details of that in any way that you'd want to. But it's a very unusual idea that God would put them to death. But before you're done with the scriptures, you recognize that they are not doing things that are in keeping with what God intended. That is to say that if a brother's wife, if a brother dies while he's married, that the next brother is intended to create an heir for him. This is very foreign to us. Let's make no mistakes. And in fact, if we go far enough into Middle Eastern history, if you lose all the brothers, it actually falls back on, although this is not a part of Jewish scripture, Middle Eastern cultures will even say that it is the father's duty to produce the next heir. So what they're being asked to do is very much in keeping with what God's pattern had been to that point. And particularly, it was in keeping of what Judah the father and Jacob the grandfather would expected his son and sons to do. Verse 11, Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, You've already killed two of my sons, so go back to your parents' home and remain a widow. I'm not going to risk any more sons to you. They've all died. Now, what we know from the story is that the sons, that that Tamar, Tamar, mm, Tamar is not the problem. The problem is the sons. But as is not unusual, uh, the, the father figure is a little bit blind to all the things that are going on. Judah's decision is explained because he doesn't want to give his third son, Shelah, to Tamar. And what is also explained very clearly, if you look at the context of the text, is he is the one who's not doing the right thing. The story continues in verse 13 as Judah is widowed and he goes to shear his sheep. Someone told Tamar, look, your father-in-law is going to Timnah. And Tamar changed out of her widow's clothing and covered herself with a veil to describe herself. Now, if you read the text, what you're going to discover is a lot of language about harlots and prostitutes and even a a unique statement called a cult prostitute or an oracle prostitute, depending on your translation. But in reality, all of those observations are outside observations. They are not that this is what she intended to do. It's just that she describes herself. 
it, is she disguises herself. And by the way, being someone who would disguise herself puts her right in keeping. To a certain extent, she is more Jacob's child than she is Judah's child. Jacob, who will win the birthright from his father by being disguised. Jacob, who will do all kinds of interesting things with the sheep to be sure that his herd continues to grow. And of course, Jacob, the victim, when he takes the veil off the young woman that he's married the night before and says, it's Leah, not Rachel. She is a child, not of her father and not of her people. She is a child the way we're reading the story of Jacob himself. She will disguise herself. Verse 16. Judah, can't say this easily in any other way, as a widower comes to town, there's a single woman sitting out in a place that she ought not be. He propositions her. She says, what will you pay to have sex with me? He says, I'll give you a young lamb. She says, give it to me. And he says, I don't have it. What did you take? And this is where the conversation becomes very interesting. Because what we recognize in it is that Judah, she says, leave me your identification seal and its cord and the walking stick you are carrying. All three of these things are things that would be like the way you carry your driver's license. In fact, all three of these things might even be the same way in which you might carry a credit card. This is identity theft. And he is a willing participant in saying, yes, you can have my seal, which would have been on a cord. And one might could claim that somebody had stolen the seal, except that the cord was unbroken, so he received the cord and the seal. The seal is like his signature, soft piece of clay. You take the seal, you roll it across it. It says Judah, it doesn't say Judah, but you get the picture, a picture that, uh, like a brand that would say this is mine. And his staff that would have been carved in a very special way, probably given to him as a child, and he grew up with it. And it would have had markings on it that clearly identified it as Judah's. And in many ways, it's thought that you would separate the herd by understanding whose sheep were by whose staff. So she asked him, I want your identity. And what breaks our heart is that he's so ready to give it up. Because it isn't just that he's willing to let go of his credit card and his driver's license. It's that he's willing to let go of his family. I'm not sure I can ever be a part of that. I'm not sure I can ever be a part of what God is doing with them. He knew the stories of his father and his grandfather, his grandfather and his father, and he knew that God was doing something special with them, and he said, it doesn't matter to me anymore. I'm not part of the story. The story continues, and we skip all the way down to verse 24. About three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has acted like a prostitute. Again, hear the description. She isn't becoming one. She's acted like one. And how did he know she acted like? He sent her home to be a widow, not to marry anyone. He had gotten no notice that she had found someone she wanted to marry. He hadn't given her to his son, Shelah. And if she's pregnant, she's had relationships with a man. And now, because of this, she's pregnant. Bring her out and let her be burned, Judah demanded. And you might say, wow, that's harsh treatment for a prostitute, except what this is, 
harsh treatment, but it's for adultery. It's about breaking the covenant with his own family and his own son, which he is equally guilty of. Verse 25, she will be brought out. And in this incredible act of courage and in this incredible act of having a voice as a woman at this time, whose seal and cord and walking stick are these? In verse 26, Judah recognized him immediately, and as Wes read earlier, she is more righteous than I. What a risk. What incredible courage. Not only on the part of Tamar to, say, to put her own life at risk in the way that she did, but understand the risk and courage it took for Judah to say, I'm the one who stands condemned. It's kind of interesting that this story occurs as a foreshadowing almost of the way David will be confronted about his sin with Uriah and Uriah's wife, as Matthew will refer to her. And Nathan will confront him and say, you are the man. He doesn't argue. He doesn't push back. He repents. Maybe he's heard the story of his great, 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 several more grandfather. What a risk. What courage. So what can we learn from Tamar's story? What can we learn both for how we see Jesus' ministry and how Matthew will say, look at these women and you're going to see some reflections of what Jesus will become. But also, I think we have things to learn for ourselves. First of all, the story of Tamar is an unexpected source. And it's interesting that we step into the story of God so often and we say, where did that come from? How did that happen? But in our own lives, we often step back and say, where did that come from? Why do we continue to be surprised the way God can use the most unusual circumstances and so often some of our greatest struggles to bring about his greater good? You see, Jesus didn't come from Jerusalem. Jesus didn't come from the seat of, of teachers, the Pharisees. Jesus didn't come from the rich and powerful Sadducees. Jesus didn't come as one of the hereditary priests that would have been in line to be the great high priest in Jerusalem. Instead, Jesus comes from Bethlehem, and Jesus comes from Nazareth, and Jesus comes from Galilee. And it almost seems that that unexpected source is one of the biggest stumbling blocks to people who want to hear his story. Maybe there are stories... Maybe there are things about the Jesus story that cause you to kind of, eh, what can I do in here? In the first century, it was the idea that he would lay his life down on a cross that caused so many to stumble. But it is always the way God works to come at us from a direction that we're not expecting, to bring something into our life that we, we can't see connected to God's good, and yet it is through those things that he produces a greater good. Unexpected source, unexpected courage. I've already mentioned courage. Courage to take a risk. Courage to take a leap. And so often, isn't that exactly what faith is? 
We like to wrap faith up in this nice, neat little package and say, if you do all the right things, you're being faithful. If you, if you never make a mistake, you're being faithful. Sometimes the most difficult thing in the process of being faithful is having done something wrong is to admit it. Sometimes the hardest part about faith is saying, you know what, my life is going to be more difficult if I trust God in doing what he asked me to do and I take the leap, the courageous leap of faith, the risk to step into what he's really called me to be about and discover that it is in that place of risk, of leaping, of courage that our faith grows more than it does anywhere else. An unexpected source, an unexpected courage, and finally, as you already know, an unexpected outcome. Have you ever looked back at your life and said, only with God? Maybe you've the phrase that I use so often, only by the grace of God. We see our lives, we see our lives raising our children. We see so many little moments where you think, wow, we didn't know enough to know to go this way as opposed to that way. And yet what we stand back and look and say is, wow, God. The most unexpected outcomes will always be situations that don't seem to be able to produce any good, and yet God brings good out of them. Struggles that seem to, we think, might take us all the way down. And it is God who steps in, and we only get to say, the only way we got to this place is because God carried us there. It's not because I'm skillful enough, not because I'm smart enough, and by the way, not because I'm good enough, but because God is God that I am here today. Only with God, and maybe we can emphasize that, especially with God. If you haven't yet read the end of the chapter, let's just hear these words because they point us to where Matthew 1 will go, starting with verse 27. When the time of her delivery came, there were twins in her womb. Sound familiar? While she was in labor, one put out a hand, and the midwife took and bound his hand with a crimson thread, saying, this one came out first. But just then he drew back his hand. Sounding familiar? Jacob, Esau. Just then he drew back his hand and came, out came his brother. She said, what a breach you have made for yourself. You've broken protocol. Your brother came first and yet you pulled him back in and then you came up. You've messed things up. Unless, of course, God has a hand. Therefore, he was named Perez. And afterward, his brother came out with the crimson thread, probably the name Zera. Brilliant or crimson is why his name is Zerah. Both the genealogy in Ruth chapter 4, if you want to flip a few pages forward, and of course the genealogy that Matthew writes for Jesus himself, affirm that it is not Zerah, the quote firstborn, but instead Perez, who God will use to carry the lineage of promise forward. This is not a story that where we, our lesson we're supposed to learn is the ends justify the means. The only person who will ever act in that role will be God, who sees a vision greater than our own and is the only one that we can trust with the idea, well, I'm going to do something wrong because I think it's going to wind up somewhere well. God is the only one who says things like that. Not that he would ever do anything sinful, not that he would ever do anything 
harmful. But what he does is takes us on circuitous routes to wind up where he wants us to be. And this is not a story about taking risks with your sexuality. Please don't hear that. It is a story about tenacity, about being someone who works against all odds, about being someone who says, I'm not going to give up. I would have to ask the question, what is causing you, or maybe you at home, to want to give up? Aren't we thankful that Jesus never gave up? It didn't matter how the people didn't understand him. It didn't matter how often the disciples failed. It didn't matter how much he would have to go through to get to the cross. He did it. Tamar's example points us to the kind of tenacious faith that it seems over and over God wants to bless. So you're invited. You're invited to take the courageous next step in following Jesus. He is the one whose love for you and desire for peace on earth could not, has not, and will not be stopped. If you need to respond to the invitation today, you're welcome to come forward. You're welcome to just talk to the people nearby before you leave. We have elders here who would be glad to visit with you. If you're online, you're welcome to send a message to that text that you see displayed and we would be glad to get back to you and continue the conversation won't you come to a realization that God wants to do something incredible with you but it'll not be simply by joining the next dot it will be taking a risk a leap of faith that he'll get us there won't you stand and sing The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. The steadfast love of the Lord
the joy he brings is here. He is here in this place. Lay your burden down, every care you carry, and come to the table of grace, for there is mercy. as you are, we are all unworthy to enter the presence of God, for he is holy. number of years ago, um, in England, there's a, a bunch of people in the city centers uh, selling a magazine called Metro. And it was common for some of the poorer people to sell it, uh, homeless, and those who had a little bit, but something that would bring in a little bit more money for them. There's one gentleman, a much older gentleman, he, he stood in the same place every single day selling this magazine. One day, he wasn't there. His regular customers, those who bought the, the magazine, uh, there was a younger person there selling the, the magazine. And everyone just assumed the worst. One person said to the, the new person who'd been there a couple days, what happened to the old guy? Did he die? Oh no, he's on vacation. He's in uh, the Caribbean. Um, and he was just selling this magazine because it gave him something to do. It gave him something, people to interact with. And people just assumed, because other people did this for a little bit of money to get the next meal, that he was one of these people. In John chapter 6, Jesus, re, uh, Jesus says to the, the people, very truly, and this is just after he says, I am the bread of life. He says, very truly, I tell you, 
Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the Father living, sorry, just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Skipping down a little bit. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend where he ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did, uh, did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Jesus says, what Jesus says here splits the people. What he said, people didn't like. Some said, I'm going to follow, and some said, I'm not. I cannot understand this hard teaching. It wasn't a popularity contest for Jesus. And this man who was selling the magazine that I started off with, he was just doing something for himself, something that gave him pleasure to talk to other people. And people assumed something about him. But Jesus was plain and clear. Jesus was as honest as they come. Jesus said, this bread and this wine, this, this cup, this is what you need. This is what will bring life. This is what will bring eternal life. Jesus also says, foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And just like the, the man who was selling the magazine, people thought he didn't have a place to lay his head, but he had a hole. Apparently a nice one if he could afford a cruise or a, a trip to the Caribbean. But as we take of the, the bread, and don't forget with the new ones, the bread is on the one side and then flip it over to get to the juice. Do the bread side first, otherwise you'll spill the, the juice. Um, as, we, as we open, as, as we think about the, the cross, as we think about the body that was sacrificed for us, Jesus said, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Will you pray with me?
Father, we thank you for the blessings you give us. We thank you that we get to have this time of fellowship, this time of communion, sharing the body of Jesus. Father, we are thankful that we understand that we can accept this hard teaching, that as we partake of this bread, that we are taking part of something greater than all of us will ever be. And we thank you for that sacrifice through Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Again, let's pray for the cup. Father, we thank you again for the blood that was poured out through Jesus. We thank you that as we partake of this, we get to remain in you as we read in John 6. We thank you that we get to be a part of the greater body, not just here in Lake Jackson, but wherever the church meets around the world. As long as the time has been since this, this day where you gave your life on that cross, and we just thank you that we are part of something greater, bigger than what will ever be. That you did not let people's expectations to interfere with your greater plan. And again, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Good morning again, church. Aren't we a blessed people and a blessed congregation? I would say a huge amen to that. I um, wanted to give you a brief update on our budget and our giving. What I would call you to do is, um, if you're here and you've got caring and sharing, please turn that to the back for those online. You can reach out to the, the, our Lake Jackson website and you can get the caring and sharing and see the details there. Um, if you look on the, the back top um, section there, you'll see what the weekly budget, weekly giving, and more so what the budget year to date and contribution has been. I should say that um, I shouldn't say that I'm amazed by this, but um, you know, each year we get to this time of the year and towards the end of our our budget cycle year, and you look at the numbers and you go, "Wow, it's just amazing." Um, when we we look at how well this congregation supports the work of this the the work that's being done here, you know, Kevin Huddleston mentioned earlier about the Arms of Hope and the support that we give for the children's home and the work that's going on there, and the work that this congregation doing is amazing. So if you look there, you know, our budget um, as of this week should be around $355,000, and we're right at $350,000. That's only 1% for those mathematicians that are out there and me being an engineer. That's only 1% away from what our budget um, should be, which is amazing, especially during this time. Um, you know, it's been a tough year. We've all gone through a lot, and significant things have happened. 
and you've continued and continued this year to support this congregation. I want to say on behalf of the budget team, the elders and deacons, thank you for that work that you've done and for giving back and the faith that you've had in doing that. Let's pray for our contribution now. Father, we thank you so much for all that you've done. You've blessed us in so many ways. You've given us a great congregation church here that we um, can work through and we can support so many things. And we pray that you'll be with those, those ministries that are working here in this congregation that are using these funds. We pray that you'll just continue to bless them as they reach out to our local community and around the world. Lord, pray that you'll continue to be with these offerings that were given and bless them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to welcome everybody here uh, this morning and those that are on live streaming too. I want to welcome you. Um, it is uh, nice to be here with everybody. Um, I want to thank Alan for his sermon uh, this morning and uh, the, remember the tenacity of Tamar and, and we could probably all use some tenacity in our lives here and especially going through the challenges we have today. So I want to thank Alan for that. Um, Remind everybody we have the Christmas dinner that's coming up on December 14th, and there's a sign-up in back there to, to sign up for a specific table, and, and uh, you should identify who you want to be with at, at that since you'll be eating a meal with them, so uh, you can do that. Um, and remind everybody that Caring and Sharing uh, has a bunch of information in it. Uh, some of that has been uh, gone over already before, but I just wanted to mention a couple of things that are on the prayer list here. Uh, specifically some updates. Uh, Mike Patterson, he had a heart catheterization done on Saturday, and the report from that was, was good. He had uh, an all clear on that, apparently. And then uh, Tom Wenzel, uh, Martha brought him home on Thursday, and uh, I think he's still on oxygen, though, but he is now at home and not at the hospital. Also remember... Uh, Clara Davis and her husband Mike have uh, been diagnosed with COVID, and we also have uh, Vicki Wunderlich and Kelly Moore have also been diagnosed with COVID, so we need to remember them also. Um, let's see, is there anything else I need to, to announce here that we need to cover? Okay, so let's pray here. God, we want to humble ourselves before you and recognize you as the creator of all things, the provider of all things, and all-powerful. We, we praise you and thank you for the love that you give us. We lift up the names of those that are on our prayer list. We ask that you apply your healing hand and your comforting hand, and you help our congregation be the hands on earth at this time. Father, we recognize you as being in control of everything, and we thank you for giving us the knowledge to produce a vaccine for the COVID virus. We are thankful that we can see the light at the end of the tunnel, but give us patience to wait for the vaccine to be rolled out. Lord, we thank you for blessing us and keeping us and for causing your face to shine on us and being gracious to us and lifting up your face to us and giving us peace that only you can give. We thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Please stand as we close. 